So um, we're going to look in the book of Galatians. We've been doing a study in Galatians. And after our guest speakers, I'll continue. I'll pick it up. But we're going to have a, a two-week break. But the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. He went to Galatia and he started a church there. Now, Galatia, uh, you have Jews and Gentiles, two different types of people. Now, when the church first started in the book of Acts, it says there was about 3,000 baptized. These were all Jewish people that were Christians first. And so now, years later, Paul's preaching to Gentiles, those that weren't Jewish. Now, Gentiles were the ones that had, like, human sacrifices. and I mean, they did all kind of stuff that the Jews thought was just perverted and wicked. So now Paul's telling them, the grace of God wants to save you also. Even though you used to live this way, God is saying, I will now accept you and bring you in and treat you as equal as anybody else. Now the Jewish people got upset by it because they're like, wait a minute, we were here first. We're the first ones. They were so evil and wicked. How can you now say they are just as good as we are? So there was a lot of issues within the church in the beginning. So it's not just a, a, a racial, cultural thing, but they had some serious issues of what was going on. So when Paul started the church, he preached, he built it up. Then he went out to lead a, uh, start another church. Then he heard that the people in Galatia was now forgetting everything that he talked about, and now they started to change their convictions because some of the Jewish people said, you're saved, but you also need to do some other things. So in other words, the grace of God is not good enough. You also need to do this, this, and this. Follow these laws. Follow these traditions. So Paul hears about this. He comes back. He says they are wrong. Don't believe them. And by the way, why are you so foolish to believe somebody anyway? I preach the truth to you. You were convicted, you heard it, and now because somebody else comes in and says something, all of a sudden you lose all your convictions. So he was upset at the Jewish people for saying it and for the Galatian people for even believing something different than the true gospel. So he wrote this letter to the Galatian churches and he's teaching them and he's trying to help them see you need the grace of God. Don't worry about these laws and traditions and all that stuff. You need to focus on the grace of God. And so this is where we're going to jump into things today. Because a lot of times we usually think laws are something that are concrete, that are, that are set in stone. But most laws that have ever been made need to be changed, should be changed, can be changed. Let me give you a few examples of some laws today that should actually be changed. First of all, in Alaska, it's illegal to be drunk in a bar. It's weird, but the state law says a person who is already drunk may not knowingly enter a bar to drink more or remain in the bar that got drunk in the first place. I'm thinking if you're drunk, you don't know nothing anyway, but that's illegal. In the town of Goodyear, Arizona, it is unlawful to spit in any public park, building, sidewalk, or road. Offenders may be charged a fine up to $2,500 or six months in prison. That's the law. 
In Gainesville, Georgia, it is illegal to eat fried chicken with anything other than your fingers. I am not lying. I'm telling you. A tourist was arrested for such a chicken forking violation in 2009. Well, you get arrested for eating chicken with a fork. That's some issues. In Louisiana, it is illegal to steal someone else's crawfish. Those little crawdads. Crawfish theft in excess of $1,500 can lead an offender to 10 years in prison or a $3,000 fine for stealing somebody's crawfish. State law. In Benzel, Pennsylvania, no person convicted of a felony may operate a bingo game. These are actual laws. You can look them up for these states. Crazy. But you know, it's the nature of a man-made law to be temporary. But God's laws, are they temporary? This is what Paul's going to talk to us about. Are God's law temporary or eternal? Now, God's morals are absolute. Thou shalt not murder. You just shouldn't murder. That's just it, point blank. But the answer Paul gives is going to surprise not only his peers, but surprise us in some way, too. Now, let me explain. Uh, Look real quickly in Galatians 12. I know I said Galatians. I'm sorry, Genesis 12. There is no Galatians 12. Genesis 12, in verse 1 through 3. Let me read this for you to start us out. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God calls Abraham. And this is what he says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord has said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So back in the book of Genesis, God says he promises Abram, who was Abraham, that all people will be blessed through you. So he right here is saying, this is the great commission. This is what's going to happen. Everybody in the world will be blessed through Abraham. If you are blessed today as a true Christian, you are blessed through Abraham. So that came first, God's promise to Abraham. Then in Exodus 12, Moses got the Ten Commandments. That came after the promise. Then Jesus came later on. His death, his burial, his resurrection, uh, a way for us to God. All that occurred. First was the promise, then was the law, the Ten Commandments, then came Jesus. Now, go back to Galatians 3 here. You may think, well, what is this being under the law of Moses? Why, why is that important to me today? I mean, who really cares? It is very important, and you'll see why in a minute. But what we're going to do is see how Paul deals with this question. John Talawali, could you come here for a minute, please, sir? Can you take this call? I said, why you call? Why you call a preacher in church? You know he preaching. 
Galatians 3. Paul makes it clear. <laughs> that's uh, the pizza place trying to deliver the pizza. So that's what that's all about. So they don't care if you're in church or not. They want their money. Um, so Paul says, anyone that wants to be saved, you must be saved through faith. Not by doing a certain set of rules. Not by playing church. Not by doing church. It needs to come through your faith. Now, because of your faith in God, there are things that we do because our faith is in God. So the things we do don't make us righteous. That faith in God makes us righteous, which leads us to do different things. So Paul has this question presented, and he's answering, what is the most important thing? And Paul says here, listen. The promise that God gives us is more important than the law. And they couldn't understand that. And some of us don't really understand that. Because for so many years, we, um, me, I'm talking about me, if it applies to you, apply to you, used to do things thinking these things I'm doing is helping me be closer to God. These things that I'm doing is making me more righteous. Now the problem with that is if I didn't do them, I felt guilty. I felt bad. I felt like I wasn't closer to God. All that matters is my faith in the grace that God has given me is what saves me, not the things that I'm doing. But because of my gratitude for God's grace, I'm going to do things. So the issue is, Paul is going to tell us why the promise, what God told Abraham, is superior, better than the law that all the Jewish people were following. And this is how it would apply to us. The reason, number one, that the promise is better than the list of rules and law is that the promise of salvation came first. So you got to understand, the promise that God gave Abraham came first. Look in Galatians 5, in Galatians 3, I'm sorry, verse 15. Okay, y'all with me here? I'm, kinda, I'm, I'm back on track now. I was off for a little bit. Galatians 3.15, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has already been duly established. So it is in this case, the promise were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. 
But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, may be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be removed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Not that faith has, now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. So Paul says here, the promise of salvation came first. Let me give you an example. My mother has made out her will. And she already told me where the papers are, who gets what, where this goes, where that goes. Now, can somebody else, a third party, come in and say, you know what, we need to change that will. That's not how it's going to work. No, you can't do that. And if you can't do that with a human covenant, how much more can we think we can change God's covenant? Because God said, your salvation is going to come through this promised faith through Abraham. That's what God said first. People came along and said, yes, but you've got to do this, 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 and this to be righteous. You can't change what God has already established first. And this is what Paul is saying. You can't do that. So why was this a big deal to them? Because if you were Jewish, where did everything focus on? Was it your land? Nope, because their land was taken from them many times. Was it their temple? Nope, because their temple was destroyed and rebuilt many times. The Jews focus on their laws, their rules, their traditions. And now Paul comes in and says, all your laws, those are add-ons. Those take away from grace. Those aren't a part of God's grace. So the promise came first, then the laws, and then Jesus. Now, so why did it have the promise? The promise was there, but the laws was there for a limited time, for a limited group of people, for a limited purpose. It served a purpose, but it wasn't forever. It was just for a certain point of time. So Paul says the first reason why we need to have faith in the promise and not what we do is because the promise came first. That's what God established first. Now, the second thing we need to understand is that the promise came from God. And so Paul focuses on their religious teachings to show them something. So Paul refers back to what they call the Abinadict. That's a tradition that the law of Moses came through angels. Look at Acts chapter 7. I'm trying to teach us the Bible here. Now, it says, you can read all through Exodus where Moses was there with the commandments, and it never says that the law came through angels. But yet, if you look in Acts chapter 7, look in verse 30 and 31. Acts chapter 7, verse 30 and 31. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he said, he was amazed at the sight and went over to look more clearly. He heard the Lord's voice. What it said here, it says an angel appeared to Moses. Look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. 
We'll just read verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 2, verse 1 and 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It says the message spoken by angels. So evidently, God gave the angels a message that they gave to Moses, that he gave to the people. So what's the big deal about that? If you look at that, God is twice removed from this. He told the angels, angels told Moses, Moses told the people. But when God gave the promise to Abraham, it was God and Abraham, one-on-one. He wasn't removed from it at all. It was just a straight thing. Now this is important because even if you think back into the... uh, The culture of that day, if a king called the ambassador in and said, take this message to so-and-so's house, and the ambassador went to so-and-so's house, that would be a message that they heard and they would follow. But how much more important would it be if the king got up off the throne and he himself went to the house and said, here's the message? A whole different story. So you got to look at it. Goes the angels, goes to Moses, goes to the people. Yeah, they'll follow it. But when God himself comes and says it, it has so much more authority to it. And this is what he's telling them. The promise came first, but not only that, it came from God himself. It wasn't anybody in between all this and that. You know how when you have, you know, I heard this, or so-and-so told him that. Where do you hear it from? So-and-so. And you're like, man, that's a whole, I mean, I believe it, but that's a whole lot of people. I mean, I probably got switched up somewhere. But if you go straight to whoever the person is and ask them a question, then you know it's clear. And this is Paul's point. God did not give a promise of salvation of grace through faith to any mediators. He himself did it. He himself was the one that came and spoke, which makes it superior to the law. Because God himself gave it. Look back in Galatians. No, I'm sorry. Look back in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. So how did Abraham get this promise? Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and accredited him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chandelions to give you this land to take possession of. But Abram said, oh Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, 
cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, did not, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dread, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated four hundred years. For I will punish the nations they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with one great possession. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the river of the Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Catamites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephrathites, Amorites, Canaanites, Jebusites, Jebusites, Broxonites, Habitabites, and everybody else. Now, what's the point here? When you made, when there was a covenant made, they would have cut an animal in pieces, and then the two people would walk between those pieces together. Well, when this occurred, it, it says here, a smoldering fire pot and a blazing torch went between these two pieces. Now, what did Abram have to do in order for this covenant to happen? Nothing. He was in a deep sleep. God did all the work in this situation. The point is, God alone stands behind his promise. An agreement between two people, it takes two people for an agreement. But a promise stands behind the one who gives it alone. And God is the one that gives this promise. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, verse 13 and 14. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. This is the big difference between the promise of God and the law. If you read the covenant made that we just talked about between God and Abraham in Genesis 15, seven times God says, I will. I will bless. I will this. I will that. God is saying, I will do it. But if you look at the law through Exodus, what does it say? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. It's telling you what you shouldn't do, what you shouldn't do. One is talking about you. The promise is talking about what God is going to do. God's promise came first, but it also came directly from God. This makes what the grace of God is all about so much more important than following a set of rules. Now, side note, that's how so many different churches even started in our world today. Because we have one set of things, but then certain people break off and say, you know what, this is the way we need to do it. You think about it, they nailed up 95 theses on the Catholic Church. 95 steps to be saved. Started a whole other religion. Somebody had a dream. God's supposed to be in a dream and said, this is how we need to do it. A whole other religion started. 
That's how the, if you look up, that's how these religions start. Man making a decision, this is the way we need to go. Man cannot do what God did not do. It's important for us to follow God and not man's idea. So first, the promise came first. Secondly, the promise came from God. And then thirdly, the promise came to do what the law could never do. The promise came to do what the law could never do. Now I'm going to wrap this all up at the end and convict all of us in a different way. But hear me out. Galatians 3.21. Galatians 3.21. The promise came to do what the law could never do. In verse 21 it says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. In other words, Paul says, The law cannot give life. Only the promise of God's grace can produce life. A lot of us don't understand Galatians because we don't understand that point right here. Because a lot of us feel like what I do can produce a happy life in Christ. What I do can make me righteous with God. There's not a law ever, ever made that can give life. Now, people today say, you know what? We're not under the law anymore. We're under the New Testament. We have a new way of doing things. That's dangerous. A new way of doing things. Again, that's just another law. We got to do things this way. It says, again, is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. For, a, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. No such law can be given. If we just needed a better law, there would not have been the cross of Christ. The only way we obtain righteousness is by faith. A faith that leads to a person we can trust. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. Galatians 3.16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul says what he's really talking about is Jesus. Now, you got to remember back in Genesis 3, uh, when the devil's talking to God, because the devil's messed up the world, and the devil's come down, he's done this, this, and that. And when we realize what it says here, look in verse 14, Galatians 3, 14 and 15. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The Bible taught us from the very first pages that God's plan to give life was never to come through law, but through a seed, Jesus Christ. So back in Genesis, God is talking about Jesus setting us free. 
later on. We, in turn, man, tries to make up laws to set us free. But laws can never impart life and freedom. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 10, verse 4. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. The only way there can be righteousness for everyone is if we stop trying to get it through the law. Listen to me. If we stop playing church, we could be righteous. Just because people come to church does not make you a Christian. You can go stand in your garage all day. It will not make you a car. You can come to church every time. It does not make you a Christian because you go to church. And that's what we have the mentality. That's what the world says. Just go to church. I go to church. I believe in God. The, de- the demons believe in God. Don't make them right with God. We cannot just go to a facility and think I'm a Christian. The law can never reach out and save you. But it says in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. It doesn't matter how far away you feel you are. God can still reach out and save you. We're studying with Hector. I appreciate what he said. Hector was talking about how he felt like he just couldn't be a perfect Christian. Hector, look at these people staring. None of us are perfect. We all jacked up. But the thing about it is that when God looks at a Christian, he doesn't see the jacked up. He sees us clothed with Christ. So all he sees is Jesus. A whole bunch of little Jesus is walking around here. And that's what he's talking about. Now, let's go back to Galatians 3. Let me drive a point home here real quick. Galatians 3, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Okay, so what was the purpose of the law? The law was there to point us to the fact that we need Jesus. Well, well, what do you mean? The law was a temporary measure to help us cope with sin. The function of the law was to reveal sin in our lives, to make us aware, not just that we messed up, but that we're in rebellion to God. Now, the awareness of sin will not motivate you to be righteous. It will keep you woke. But it will not motivate you to righteousness. The law's purpose was to show man, not that they were a little bit off, but that they were in complete rebellion to God. It opened our eyes to disobedience. It's like a magnifying glass. You have a magnifying glass and you have a dirty cloth. If you put that dirty cloth under the magnifying glass, 
The magnifying glass doesn't clean the cloth. It just exposes the dirt even more. That's what the law did. It can't clean any of us up, but it can expose more of what we're doing wrong. That was the purpose of the law. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law is like a mirror. You know, you look at it before you come to church. And you look at it and you say, now what am I going to do with all that? The mirror can show you where the dirt is, but it can't clean it up for you. In order to give life, the law will have to forgive the lawbreaker. And that's outside the ability of the law. The law can't do that. All the law does is condemn people and show you you're wrong. Think about it. You would never be driving down the street and the police pull you over and says, I just want you to know you are a great citizen. Here's a, a reward. Never, ever, ever going to happen. The law cannot promote life. All it does is point out the sin. Now, it's important for us to realize this. Is the law opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. It doesn't contradict it. It does exactly what God's promise says. The promise was there to give us life, but yet the law had to point out certain things before we could see our real desperate need for Jesus. Now, back in Galatians 3. You say, why is this so important? Well, a lot of us had a, a epiphany or a meltdown back in 2003. And a lot of people still holding on to that, got all kind of issues, even after that, all kind of stuff. And if you're saying, you're offending me now, preacher, okay, deal with it later. But the fact is this. Some of us, because we were very legalistic for a long, 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 long time. And then all of a sudden, it's like the shackles on my feet were set free, and we all off. Now we ready to party and do our thing. And a lot of people lost a lot of conviction. And it kind of became free willy all of a sudden. But let me say this. Even that was God's plan. Here's why. Because God gave the law for a certain period of time, for a certain group of people, for a certain purpose. Even the way we used to do things occurred. I'm not saying everything was right, but what I'm saying is it occurred for a certain period of time, for a certain group of people, for a certain purpose. That's no longer there. Now we understand how we need a personal relationship with God much more, the grace of God much more. So we look and say, well, that shouldn't have happened. No, no, no. It should have happened. Because if it didn't happen, we would not be where we are today to understand our relationship with God. I mean, that's just like saying the law of Moses shouldn't have happened. No, no, no. It should have happened. Because they needed that to start pointing them to Jesus in the right way. And then that's why the law was there. It was there for that time. But now it's done with. It's all about us and Jesus now. 
So we need to understand this and let go and be true disciples, which means deny yourself. Of what? Some bad attitudes, some hurt feelings, some tiredness, some issues. We said we're going to make Jesus Lord. We need to make him Lord and give up all those things and move on. But see, too many, too many want to hold on to that law, hold on to that hurt. The question is, are you a disciple of Jesus? Because he says it was, I'm not saying it was right, but it had its purpose. Some of us are so prideful and hard-headed, if somebody did not get in our grill the way they did, we would not be Christians today. We wouldn't. But the problem is this. You get rid of that law, now you got that freedom, but with that freedom comes a responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. So what's that responsibility? You yourself need to walk with God. You, don't, you should not ever need a sermon to get you to pray. You should never need a sermon to get you to read your Bible. See, that's the legalistic way. And some people want that. Preach on how we need to have evangelism. Preach on how I need to read my Bible. Preach on how they need to love me. Preach on freedom. Because you know, that's what happened when Moses crossed the Red Sea. When God helped Gilligan get off the island. We need that freedom. We need that freedom. You got freedom in Christ. What are you doing with it? You say, well, I don't understand. You're just getting carried away. No, let, let me tell you something. A person that will go all of 2018 without studying the Bible with one person. You got to ask yourself, is that even convicting to me? That I would go a whole year and not even sit in a Bible study? There was a time when I thought, I, I, there's no way, that should never be. But now that I have this freedom, it's okay to just watch millions of people go to hell? See, it's not about evangelism. I'm not going to sit here and preach evangelize, evangelize. No, no, no. But I'm going to preach discipleship. Because it's about discipleship. How can a disciple be okay with not sitting in a Bible study for a whole year? Something is wrong with that disciple. Something's not clicking right. You say, but I got freedom in Christ. Yeah, freedom to do what? Be lazy? The issue is discipleship. It's not about you better evangelize or you're going to hell. No, I will never preach that. But what I'm saying is you need to be a disciple now or you will go to hell. Not because there's a set of rules, but it's because if you don't live the life, how can you? If you're not praising God here, why are you going to do it for eternity? It ain't going to happen like that. My point is, guys, the law was there for a certain period of time. We went through a whole bunch of stuff for a certain period of time. But now, we're at a different place. But now, it's all your responsibility. Just like Paul got mad at the the Galatians because they weren't listening to the gospel and holding on to it. We can preach, we can teach. But the real issue is, are you listening and are you going to hold on to it? That's what it's all about. You know, how old do you have to be before your mom or dad stops spanking you? It's different for different people. My oldest daughter, I could spank her and she'd go cry and she'd be different. My youngest daughter, I could spank her and she would look at me and not care at all. 
Now, I know she had a lot of surgeries, and she went through a whole bunch of stuff as a young kid. It got to a point where that belt wasn't doing nothing for her. I spanked her one day at a belt, and I don't want nobody texting me or calling social services. I'm just telling you how I ran my household. I spanked her one time with a belt, and she looked up at me and said, that didn't even hurt. Almost body slammed that child, but I didn't do that. My point is this. At some point, you outgrow your parents out of fear. You, <laughs> you outgrow obeying your parents out of fear. It turns to a point where you start obeying your parents out of love. Church, this is where we need to understand. We don't need laws threatening us to be Christians. We don't need laws threatening our salvation or threatening us to get kicked out of church if you don't come to Bible talk or you get kicked out of church. We don't need laws threatening us. We need to stop being little infants on milk, get some solid food, and grow up and do things out of obedience and love to God. That's what it comes down to. There's a... Even the little children over there. Amen. Go ahead. There's a lot more I want to say, but I'm going to hold off. We're going to continue on Wednesday in our Men and Women's Midweek. We're going to wrap up Chapter 3 so we can move on. Because uh, after our guest speakers, the the last two chapters are more impacting than the first three. Because one of my favorite sermons is entitled, Who's Your Mama? Because the whole story in the book of Galatians comes down to two different mothers. The slave woman and the free woman. Whose mother is yours? And this is what it comes down to. So I'm just kind of getting you ready for continuing the book of Galatians. We're not going to stop it until we're done. But for right now, I want us to understand the promise of God came back in Genesis. And that's way more important. God promised us salvation. He didn't want us to come and play church. He wanted us to have the promised, faithful salvation through Abraham. And that would allow us to be the men and women God wants us to be. Not by laws, not by rules, but by our love and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Amen.